Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I don't like TV or radio interviewers without a personality. You know the type. They gift wrap the perfect questions to the guest so they can promote their new book or album or idea or political stance. Soft, vanilla questions, not meant to ruffle any feathers, put any noses out of joint, and most certainly not meant to offend either the guest or the people listening. I think many interviewers, the best ones anyway, are artists in their own right. In Canada, Laurie Brown and Terry O'Reilly come to mind. Internationally, maybe Bill Mahar. The subject of this podcast is celebrated both famously and infamously. Sports and music host and interviewer, George Strombolopoulos. Strombo to most. I've been anxious to interview George, who I give credit for being in the tradition of the late Peter Zosky, and maybe even a little bit Bill Mahar, but younger and more Canadian because I consider him much more of an artist than a host of interview format shows. And within his art, he most certainly does not ask vanilla questions. With George, part artist, part social justice warrior, part media dude, I discovered that the conversational journey is as deep as it is wide. To set the scene for you, we met at Trinity Bellwoods Park in downtown Toronto on a beautiful warm day. We sat on the grass while the traffic on Queen Street the young mothers with babies in strollers, and the ever-present Toronto squirrel population carried on all around us. These are the words of George Strombolopoulos. This industry is not any more or less important than any others in terms of the people who do it, but the impact is significant if you're irresponsible. Get myself a steady job. This generation stands up against injustice way better than we did. I'm a working person that likes to be creative with my friends and I like the things that I create or I'm part of in whatever capacity 
to have some value and not value so that I feel value because it's not really what I think that matters to me. I know that if you have any kind of platform, you can use it to shine a light on a lot of stuff, a lot of injustice. And for me, I just listened to a lot of Clash records and Crass records as a kid. And I'm just trying to be what Johnny Rotten was back in the day or Ian MacKay from Fugazi or Jello Biafra. So I'm doing my part to keep the punk thing going. Uh, and I just happen to be in the media, right? So, but there's no larger point to me. It's just more what I do. I'm just a, I come from a blue collar family where you get up in the morning and you go to work. And that's what I do every day. And that's what I've been doing every day. It's not, it's not magic to me. It's not even philosophical to me. It's just get out of bed, go to work. That's it. Yeah. But, but you're not, like, I wouldn't, if, I wouldn't describe you, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, Stromos, he's salt of the earth, man. No, I would say he's a cool hang, and I love, you know, he's a great talk, and I love hanging with the guy because he's a normal human being. But salt of the earth, I think, get up and go to work. And I don't see that with you. My question is, are you an, art, are you an artist? Um, I think, I think I like to approach a lot of things like an artist. But I'm a forklift driver. I'm a sandwich maker. I'm a newspaper delivery guy. I used to take limestone out the back of a pickup truck and fill ditches. I build decks. I landscape. Like, I'm a working person. And I just happened to get on the radio. But when I, when I, uh, so to me, salt of the earth is an interesting thing because what you're talking about is those, a tr traditional definition of what a man does, get up in the morning and go work with your hands. Man or a woman. Yeah, man or a woman. Yeah, yeah. I did all that. I did, I did the handwork. Yeah. I just got lucky that radio took me in the direction that it did. Not that I was unlucky then, but I really like doing this for a living. But I approach it all the same way. Blue collar, go to work. This industry is not any more or less important than any others in terms of the people who do it. But the impact is significant if you're irresponsible with, with the presence. And I refuse to be irresponsible. I will pick fights with the people that I think are irresponsible. So I'm a frontline worker in my line of work. Have you been irresponsible in the past? Can you remember a time when, when you, you sat back afterwards and went, damn, yeah, I'm sure I've done shows. I, I'm, I know I've done things where I'm like, nah, I don't know that I feel that way anymore. I disagree with my position now, for sure. But no, to be honest with you, aside from obvious gaffes of not understanding the impact of language, I'm, I'm talking the early 90s when I was a young broadcaster. I have spent an enormous amount of time trying to do it the right way. I was just very lucky that I had a, a stack of bosses who let me be me, but also put the work into me and taught me how to be the better version of me. That's the national anthem, by the way, of, yeah, of my neighborhood right there. That's the national anthem. I've been listening said. to that all night, yeah. believe me. I've got the same background. I mean, I was a garbage man for five years. Yeah. You know, I loaded tomatoes off the backs of trucks, right. the Ontario Food Terminal at the yeah. base of oh, Park, park yeah. Lawn. What were you at the high school party? Were you the guy, were you the guy where we'd be sitting there and we'd be like, oh, come on, Strom, but really, sh sh shut up, dude. No, I wouldn't, have been at the, I, I wouldn't have been at the high school party. Um, I was, uh, no, I was the metalhead, the punk kid, the rock and roller. So, um, but you know what? I got along with most people. I, but I certainly wasn't part of the club by what, any means. What about the punk club? What did, you no, know? there wasn't that many of us. I grew up in a neighborhood where, where there weren't a lot. There was like five of us metalheads that used to hang around together. And we... We didn't have school spirit, and I still don't have school spirit. I hated high school. I didn't hate the teachers. I didn't hate the people. I didn't hate what I learned. I just hated having to be somewhere I didn't feel like being. And I, 
I wasn't one of those kids who just thought education was the be all and end all. I didn't go to university. I didn't apply to university, never considered going to university because first of all, who could afford that and who wanted to carry that student debt? I also didn't think that university was gonna be effective for a guy like me. I thought I was gonna be a manager of a movie theater. My mother and my grandmother wanted me to be a streetcar driver or a bus driver. That was the height of the goals that my family had for me. My mom wanted Lofty. me- Yeah. And I, and I was, and my grandmother said the best thing to me, my baba. She said, if you get a job driving a bus, you can get in the union and you can sit down for a living. And that was the kind of thing that was really important. And I, I think that that's real work. But you didn't swallow that. You didn't agree? I, no, to be honest with you, I assumed that's what I was going to do. Something like that. But honestly, I was just, I went to get a motorcycle license. I was working at a movie theater and I wanted to be a filmmaker, right? I wanted to make films, but there's no pathway for guys like me to make movies. Coming from the neighborhoods I came in, I didn't know anybody in the business. Nobody that I knew knew anybody in the business. You know, I ended up meeting one guy in radio who was a strange pedophile and he was really terrible. And so, but I, I, but I didn't know people in the game. So I just didn't think you could do that. But I got this job at a theater and I, I started to study movies and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I, but I want to get a motorcycle license. Obviously I was so on brand and so cliche. And I went next door, there was an adult learning center for Humber College right next door to my movie theater where I worked at in this mall called the Woodbine Center. And I went in there and I got a course calendar and I flipped through it and it just said radio broadcasting. And I went, oh, fuck it, I'll do that. That's how it started. Yeah. And I did not expect it to work. I didn't even know what it was. My meeting with the school was 12 seconds. Honestly, I walked in, they said, what do you want to, why do you want to be in radio? I don't even know what I said to them. And then the, it was a 12 second meeting. In depth. Yeah, it was over. <laughs> and I walked out and I thought, well, I'm not getting that job. And I went back to the mall to go to work. And then I got a letter in the mail saying you're in radio at Humber College. And I thought, shit, all right. So that, so it's not that I didn't swallow it. I didn't want to work for people. Like the, you know, like whatever the version of the man was back then, I didn't want to work for them. I didn't, when I was driving a forklift on the weekends at the airport, I was probably 18. 17. And I was working with a lot of guys who were amazing and they taught me a lot because here's what, they hated their lives. We were, you know, crack open beer. This is before everybody had fancy hipster beer. So we drink a Budweiser or a Molson Export at 10 a.m. on the job. You, the highlight of your day was when you heard that whistle of the donut, the coffee truck that would come onto a site. Woo, woo, woo. And then that was the highlight of the day. And I looked around and went, fuck this. Exactly. This isn't a bad job. I'm not above this job, but I'm not built for this job. I don't want this. I wanted more creative. I wanted more music, more art in my life. So I can see that. I can picture you. And, and I mean, this is why you and I keep connecting because really you just told my story. Yeah. You really did. Kind of verbatim, you know? That's uh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that coffee truck whistle, man, is a, I love it. I loved the job. Yeah. I got paid shift premium, right? To work driving this forklift. I loved it. Now, and I travel around the world. I'm very lucky with where my career's gone to, but I'll tell you, I get on the plane and I look out the window and I see the guy in the same vest that I wore driving the same forklift that I drove. I was like, man, I am so lucky. Although I was lucky then because I had good, it was good, honest labor. Uh, and I, and I like that stuff.
yourself a steady job Surviving Life with Les Stroud. Here's what I want to ask you about. Like, there's a book, I keep referencing this book foolishly because I haven't actually read it all the way through, Hillbilly Elegy. But the concept here, a lot of, uh, an underlining thing is this guy talking about the peer pressure to keep you down, to bring you back. I can remember moments where well, come on, Strad, what do you think you're better than us now? Because you know, because when I stopped hanging out and stopped that part of my youth thinking like you, I'm thinking, no, man, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. And if I had a grandma who said, like, okay, thanks, grandma. And inside, I'm like, no, nah, not going to be me. Yeah. Did you feel peer pressure to hold you back in Rexdale? I didn't. You know, I had moved to Malton. Yeah, I was very lucky. I, I actually, the greatest gift my mother ever gave me, aside from being a loving, amazing mom, was I don't think I can ever remember a time in my entire life where my mother asked me, so what do you want to do for a living? I had zero pressure on me to accomplish anything because my mom said to me, what you do is way less interesting in the kind of person you are and the way you make people feel. She said, a job is a job. It doesn't matter. In my head, I was always going to do whatever the f I felt like. I never, ever felt like 
I had to say do something to make my family proud because my mom hated the concept of pride. Interesting. She hated the concept of pride. My mom was always about be humble, be humble, be humble. So here's the thing. So I was very lucky in Malton. I was about 17 years old, 16 years old. And I walked into a class, a music class, wearing, I had to wear a uniform at school, but I would wear a metal t-shirt underneath my white shirt so you could see it. Which band? Um, it was always switching, but it would have been in 1985. It would have been Metallica, Slayer, Venom, ACDC. Like, you know, it was the metal of the day. I remember there was a guy sitting in the back of the class, long blonde hair, and he looked at me. He's like, yo, yo. And he saw my t-shirt and he had a metal t-shirt under his shirt. And he said, you sit with me. He says, I think when you had your communion of the Catholic school system, you knew my cousin, Steve. And I said, I did. And he's like, sit with me, man. It was first day of school. His name was uh, John Sobekin. It was me, John, Danny, uh, a guy called Dave and a guy called Jimmy and Stu. This little crew of metalheads found each other. And those guys were the first guys I knew that moved to LA when they were 18 years old. So in our life, there was no ceiling because we thought, and nobody was ever, I, I, part of the reason why nobody told us you know, you got to stay down is because I don't think anybody, A, cared about us, but also I don't think anybody thought we were going anywhere anyway. <laughs> we didn't give any indication that we were going to go and, you know, no one looked at us and went, man, that fucking guy, we were no Matt Damon in, in Goodwill Hunting, right? right? So people didn't give a shit about us. But also my, I, I'm, Malton, this neighborhood I grew up in ultimately is a really special place and nobody got in our way. And if you're from Malton, you have a chip on your shoulder, that's enormous. I have it still to this day. And it helped me from getting arrested when I was in Pakistan fighting with the Secret Service agent. Like it's, Malton is a chip on your shoulder. And so my guys there, we're all just like, fuck it, we'll do whatever we want. So they moved to Los Angeles to become rock and rollers. It was all about music for us. Sure. Um, so in our world, it was just go wherever you want, man. Nothing can hold you back except for yourself. What's the chip? The chip is knowing that you can't do anything you want, but you can sure try and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Growing up there, we all felt like it was the center of the universe and we didn't give a fuck what anybody thought of us. And that's the chip. I still don't. It's like motivation fueled by anger, though, Feel the way you describe it. And I'm not even saying that's a, as a diss. I'm saying maybe anger, but what we never tried to do was we never tried to fit in. We never tried to be a part of a community that didn't want us. We don't care. I don't like, I never, when I see people now just figure out, they're going, I just want to be welcomed in. I'm like, why? Yeah. It's the thing that annoys me the most about uh, bands in the modern era who are super brand oriented, right? And they're just talking about brands. I'm like, everybody's trying to opt in, yeah. opt out. They're being taught that. But we were taught that too in the 80s, the disposable generation, right? Everybody was buying into bullshit. We didn't do it because we listened to better music. And by better, I mean, it taught us to opt out of the system that's gonna throw you overboard anyway. Just the way it threw your parents overboard, the way it threw your grandparents overboard when they came here on the promise of something that wasn't real. So I was just super lucky that my crew of friends, we listened to the kind of music that we never, ever, ever wanted to fit in we never wanted to be part of anybody else's club. We never wanted to be part of, in fact, when the school announcements were going on for teams, we were never joining any sports teams. Like, fuck that, we didn't, we didn't want to. But we heard an announcement for curling and we just thought, curling? No one like us joins curling. So we joined the curling team looking like we looked and we also knew that curling would take us to regions where we could meet girls from other schools that we weren't gonna meet in our neighborhood. So we were very strategic about it. And we, but we never, ever wanted to be part of anybody's club. What I'm trying to piece in in my mind is where this motivation comes from, but I'd like you to tell me I a bit more. I don't have motivation, bro. Well, tell me about your mom and dad. 
My mom's amazing. My mom's a woman called Mary. Um, I don't have a father. I mean, I have a father technically, but I was raised by my mom. Okay. Um, was your father in the picture at he, all when you were younger? He left when I was seven. Okay. Yeah, so he left when I was Not really seven. in the picture then? No, no, no. I mean, I've seen him four times in 40 years. Okay. My, mine left emotionally, shall we say. Yeah. You know, uh, there, sad. but not there. Yeah, but see, I, I got the best of the, the deal. The best of the deal is if you're going to go, go. My dad left and he was a ghost. I didn't see him again. But I'll tell you, my mom, who's uh, just to give you an insight into who that lady is, she would never let me say a bad word about my dad. She never said a bad word about my dad. He didn't give us any money. She said, what are we gonna take blood from the stone? Like he doesn't have any money either. Like we were all dead broke. We grew up way below the poverty line. My mom was just like love and family are important. But sometimes people who are supposed to love you can still love you and just not be there. So she did not let me grow up with any daddy issues. She did not let me grow up with any sense that the cavalry was coming, that anybody owed me anything. It's funny because my mom is pretty conservative. She's a hardcore Christian, but what she doesn't realize is she's the one that taught me to be this fiery anti-authoritarian guy. She, my mom loves authority, but she's the one in her actions that taught me that no one's there for you, bro. <laughs> like you gotta go and, and, and what's important to remember, she said, is that when you're in a position where you can help, don't shirk your responsibility. Be there for others. This is what you were saying the other day to me. You got physical about it. You said, you know, I'm, I'm a guy, get, just get up, you know, I'll, I'll spread my elbows and get behind me. Yeah. So are you a defender? Yeah. Yeah, I like to fight. Yeah. I like to fight. I don't like to fight for the sake of fighting. I don't have any adrenaline issues, but I, I, I'm missing the chip in my brain for fear. I don't have it. And I wish I did a little bit. Has that but, worked against you on occasion? It yeah, must have. totally. Yeah, I'm sore from broken bones, from stupid shit. I'm lucky I don't have an adrenaline thing. Like I don't like, jumping out of a plane is like, not, no thanks. And that stuff's not into me. And, uh, but I, I'm not a roller coaster guy, but I love racing motorcycles. I And I don't do it for adrenaline. I do it because I find that when I hit a really crazy turn and if I hit it right, everything goes quiet in my brain. And it's the only place where it goes. The place where I get the quietest is on a motorcycle in my helmet. That's when I'm at my most peace, right? But I, I don't have the fear, and I guess because I believe, and maybe I'm incorrect in this belief, but I believe I'm on the right side of history, and I believe that I'm just doing what people do who are in my position, which is you stand up and you fight for others in whatever capacity, and whatever weapon you were born with, whatever your weapon is, make sure you're good at that with that weapon. So I'm good with my weapon, which is I'm a, you know, I'm a reasonably experienced broadcaster, and I have an ability to sit down and talk to people. So it's like, okay. So if that's who I am, then let me just do that on behalf of some other people too. And this is what most people in our business don't understand is that they're so busy trying to make this about them. But I keep trying to tell them, if you do this the right way, you're going to get all the benefits of it being about you anyway. Right. Man, that squirrel's so close to you. How cute is this? Oh, you missed it. He was, he was sniffing your elbow. Hey, yeah, buddy yeah. boy. I know. The Toronto I squirrels. I respect any, when they built this, I'm an urban boy, as you know, and as any, when they built up these cities and all nature scrammed, I respect the animals that stayed. Oh yeah. Oh my God, squirrels I'm, I'm and the, raccoons, the, I'm down. A quick tangent, I'm, I'm very big on, on the, the nature back in schools movement. Yeah. Uh, um, the work of Richard Louvre and the nature principal, all that yeah. sort of stuff. I, I just showed Logan today, we were driving downtown. I said, he said, well, where are the schools in the city? I said, yeah. well, we're, we're right beside one. I yep. said, see that big slab of gray pavement? That's a school. Yeah. I said, I'd love to see that ripped up put the grass back in, put the trees back in. That's what dude, I grew up with. Dude, I, yeah, I used to, when I grew up, and we, our schools were concrete and rusty steel toys, jumping over needles um, and and used condoms when I was in grade school. Rexdale, of course. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love nature and I used to go camping all the time and I still camp. Um, 
But when I see well, pictures you, of schools, you, you, you car camp, George. Let's be honest. No, you no, car I camp. tent camp where I would canoe and catch fish and cook them myself when I was you twelve. Did. Yeah, when I was now. twelve, thirteen. Now when I camp, I, I don't I, see you out there. I'm out there all the time. I never see you out there. Yeah, well, I got time to go out there. <laughs> but it's your job. You get paid to be out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's no, you true. know where my biggest camp is now. I, every year I ride a motorcycle uh, to um, Los Angeles from Toronto or back. And I pack my tent and all that stuff on the back of the bike. And then I pull over and I find a spot. And either on BLM, uh, you know, public land in the States, or I usually go through America to get to LA. So does that piece that you find inside your helmet, do you find it in nature when you're there too? Is that another spot or is it a slice of it? If I'm in the water, I'm okay. This is one of the reasons why I spent a lot of time in LA. When I lived in Topanga, I would hop in my El Camino, drive 13 minutes to the beach, jump in for five minutes, get back in, naked into my car and drive back and then get dressed, shower and go to a meeting. Like I... Being in the water is my favorite place to be. That's, That's where I find That's interesting. Do you dive? No. Because I got my indoors, my contained water patty sure. license, and then I never bothered to get the outdoor. I dive extensively. And what you described about the helmet and the motorcycle is what happens to me the second I go beneath the waves. The world goes away. When I, when I was getting certified for my indoors, uh, my contained, I was sitting at the bottom of the pool, have the regulator in and I'm breathing, and I was so calm. And then they make you go through that where you take everything off and put it back on. And I was so calm because I just thought, well, this is where, this is the womb, right? Yeah. We're, we belong here. You're in the amniotic fluid yeah. all over again. Yeah. Being underwater is really, but I'm, because, you know, I'm a pretty chaotic person. So the waves where I live in LA are gnarly. And so I just dive into the waves all day long. I just dive headfirst into the waves and get knocked around and I just feel great.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I'm trying to define in my head the difference between you being chaotic and not being an adrenaline junkie. Because adrenaline people are chasing something, and I am something. It's different. It's my brain. That's good, George. Yeah. That's very good. No, that's, that's what I believe, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not chasing a rush. My brain is a fucking rush. And it's not a good thing all the time, but it's a thing, right? It's hard to maintain relationships. It's hard to grow with friends because if you don't have people who can run at your speed, and not that it's a good speed, or but just at this speed, I'm not playing around. Like I, This is me 24 hours a day. Like I'm just like, Shh. I was dating this girl and she looks over me and she's like, you can't relax at all. Mm. And I said, well, no, I am relaxed. This is the key. I am relaxed. When I was a little boy, my mother took me to the doctor because I was shaking. I was trembling all the time. And she said, to, what's going on with this guy? She thought it was really ill. And the doctor just looked at my mom and said, it's a trembly boy. He's got a lot of energy and it'll never be contained. I was like eight when she, the doctor, I remember hearing that. And I still- And they didn't prescribe rid, uh, Ritalin? No. And he, here's the thing. No matter what they would have prescribed, my mother wouldn't have taken it. My mother became a nurse when I was in high school. She put herself through school to become a, she was, dude, this is back to my mom. She woke up at five in the morning, delivered newspapers. She would come home to see us off to school. Her only rule was she would be home when we went to school and when we came home from school. But she still worked three jobs. She just got jobs to make sure she was home because she said, if you're a latchkey kid, you're going to get in trouble. She knew who I was. Yeah. She could see right away who I was. So she would get up in the morning, deliver newspapers. She would come home, get us off to school. She would then go work at this uh, greasy spoon restaurant by the airport where we lived. Um, my mom's Ukrainian woman, but because she had married my old man who was Greek, my mom taught herself how to speak Greek. So she worked for these really sexist fucking Greek guys who are, but the reason why I say they're not ethnicity was because they were always saying shit to each other in Greek and had no idea that this little 26 year old blonde lady who was my mom could speak it and understood it. And one day she calls them all. She says, after they said something particularly gross, she said, I understand you in Greek. And they fucking panicked, right? And so my mom asserted herself and got all these jobs and through that, like delivering newspapers, put herself through fucking college, right? While she had two kids by herself, um, became a nurse and she, a nurse's assistant, they were called RNAs back then. And the reason she quit that job as a nurse's assistant, she said to me, the doctors are over prescribing. She felt ethically, she would rather not have that job than be a part of a situation where she had to administer what her training and her instinct taught her was an unhealthy amount of medication. So if I was ever prescribed Ritalin, my mother would have flushed it down the toilet. Hmm, that's Never. fantastic. Yeah. But look, I mean, I'm, I am so 
grateful that the algorithm uh, paired me with my mom because even though we don't agree on a lot of things politically and intellectually, we are so tender to each other because my mom, my sister and I, the three of us, it was like us against the world, right? What do you do with the Christian atheist thing? Because your, oh, mom, your mom's strong Christian and, and you're Massive. not. Yeah. What, do, what does she do with it? What do you, what do you guys do? Well, I mean, and if I'm her, getting too no, personal, no, no. just tell me to shut up. It keeps her up at night. She says that she mm, grieves. She was worried about you. Yeah, I'm going to go to hell. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then I don't make it any easier on her because I make lots of jokes. <laughs> um, yeah, she doesn't like that I have tattoos. She thinks that they're signs. She doesn't like that I wear jewelry. That is, I mean, borderline, if not sure. overtly satanic. She does the whole punk the thing, punk influence and everything. Yeah, right? and you know, the 80s, bro, when the early 80s, when they had the satanic panic, yeah. when the news media was out there, you know, doing these stupid stories. That's why journalism is I remember, important. well, I actually did a, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I actually did a, a doc story with Daniel Richler and Laurie Brown on Christian rock versus satanic rock. Really? And hey. my job was interviewing all of the Christian artists. Wow. So I went to all of the festivals and interviewing DeGarmo and Key and Amy <laughs> Grant and Larry, uh, uh, Larry Norman. Yeah. You know, all these guys. Oh yeah, man. And I was, was sent to the Daniel thing. Band concerts and Daniel, Striper. Oh, the Striper. Yeah. They're still, they came out again recently. Yes, they follow, I follow them on Twitter. I got no beef with them. I was five years old. When my, so my mother couldn't afford a babysitter, right? So when she was working during the summer, she had a lot of temp work during the day. So in the morning on Rexdale, I don't know if you remember the Albion Mall. <laughs> across the street from- Of the, course. Yeah, across yeah, the street yeah. from the Albion Mall. The rough, Albion, rough Albion area. Mall, there was a pool hall back there where I remember- that was the first time I ever saw a baseball bat with a nail mm -hmm. through it. I've been to that pool hall. Yeah, I used to play the pool. So when I was really, really young, seven years old, something like that, five years old, my mother would take me to the library, take me to the Albion Library across the street from the mall and ask the librarians not to let me leave. So I was unchecked. And so I would just wander this around the library the 80s. all day. The 80s, yeah. I was reading. This is the late 70s, early 80s. And I was, I was so my job was, my, basically librarians would hand me books based on my interest and I would read. My mom would pick me up at noon and uh, for lunch, we would go have lunch. And then she would take me down the road. There was a senior citizen's home there. And she would make me go in there and find somebody, a senior who was alone, who had no family and say, now be their friend. She said, this person's lived a life you'll never live. They have experiences you'll never get. Your job as a person is to be their company and listen to them and learn. So this is how my mom patchworked, you know, raised me with community. But at the library- And, and your sister too, I'm assuming. Yeah, my sister as well. My sister was a lot younger than me at the time. So it's just, like I was seven, she was five. But eventually she, she would go into the same sort of- Absolutely. Yeah, my mom had this woman, she would visit Mrs. Buckle at the, uh, at the, at the old folks home and I would go and Jimmy was my guy. My, he was a World War II you man. You remember the names. Yeah, Jimmy. Oh, dude, Jimmy used to teach me stuff about what it was like to be in the war, right? I'm young, right? And I'm, I'm learning all this stuff. But I, and I was really shy. However, it taught me that your job is to be beside people right? And be there for them. But at the library, I was about five, six years old. I was with my friend Julio, Julio. I saw a bunch of adults walking behind this curtain. So I was unchecked. So it just followed the men, followed where they went. And there was a bunch of banquet chairs laid out and a, one of those portable projection screens. So I sat in the front row, six, seven years old, maybe, I can't remember exactly. And they screened Return of the Living Dead. Night, <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, the original one. The original George oh, Romero one. Oh, I bet your mom loved that. She didn't know. And right. I watched it and I was just stunned by what I was seeing. So young. Right around that time, there was a TV show called Hilarious House of Frightenstein that was on. Billy Van, Billy, Billy Van, Van, Billy Van, Billy Van. The best. And I watched that and I was so afraid to watch it because it was like four or five, six. And I would make wake my mother up to make her watch it with me, but I would watch it. And she said it was like the lights went out in my eyes. She didn't understand how this loving, warm kid that I am t turned into this 
demons and devils thing. And I just said to her, it's George Romero. It was Billy Van. And it was The Muppet Show had Alice Cooper on. Mm. And boom, there's, there's my holy trinity of why I like the dark shit. And my mother doesn't like it, but... I was like, what do you want? I made all my artistic choices at five years old. Yeah. What, what, were, what were your mom's artistic choices? My mom liked Elvis, uh, but my mom only likes Jesus. This is the thing. Okay, so she's a very she's, strong born-again Christian yeah. then. Yeah. So Jesus is her thing. She's a Catholic born-again Christian, it sounds like. No, she's not. She was not well, the joke in my family is that we used to be Catholic, and then my mother found God. Right. Right? Yeah. 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 So, um, no, evangelical Christian. Uh, my mom liked Elvis. My mom liked Meatloaf. My mom liked the Carpenters. My mom liked... Didn't love, didn't like the Beatles that much. Well, yin, yin and yanging it then between Meatloaf and the Carpenters and yeah, until the Carpenters She liked Carpenters two or three and bad. That was what she loved, right? right. The two or three and bad stuff. My mom used to play guitar uh, and sing me to bed every night. She used to sing Rhinestone Cowboy and, you know, she used to sing me songs in Ukrainian and stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was a really nice little loving, loving relationship. I Honestly, I, I mean, I get to hear these stories or read these stories uh, or read them in a book. Like I I'm recently was reading Denise Donlan's book there and about her parents and the love. And I just sit in envy. I mean, my, my, my background was very dysfunctional, radically yeah, dysfunctional it, yeah. on both sides. Yeah. Both my, I, I put it this way. I see my mother 20 minutes a year right now. That's it. That's, that's, that's the, that's 20 the, minutes, 20 minutes a year. Is she in jail? No, she no? actually lives down the street. Really? Well, you know so, what? So, so, but which is not me, you know, unloading something ridiculous. The reality is, I was raised in a dysfunctional situation. When I hear stories about someone like your mom, it's a wonderful, warm feeling of envy. Like, it's, man, it's alien, right? See, yeah, it's alien, but it's it's like you see. It's like now it when I see be, my friends you know? talk about their dads. When I see my friends talk about their dads, I I have no concept of what that's like at all. I was at Burning Man and my friends were on a lot of drugs at one point, some of them, and they started crying. Good thing you were straight. Yeah, I was told, I keep it clean. <laughs> and they were crying and I'm like, why are you crying? They cried out of nowhere, right? And I'm like, why are you crying? And they said, well, they were just thinking about this experience they had with their father. And then they realized that I didn't have a dad. And I, and I said to them, dude, I've never shed a tear over my dad. Like, it's cool. I'm not even mad at my dad. It's like, I'm, he was 26 when he left. I'm not fucking going to be mad at a 26-year-old. Yeah. Fucking guy, was, he's 26. Basically almost, a, you know, just past being a kid for totally. a few years. Totally. Yeah. They were like, I think eight, I think my, he was, I think my mom was 18 or 19 when he knocked her up. So it was, yeah, I ain't mad. But, it, no, but when healthy. I hear them talk about their dads, I look at it, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But my Uncle Paul and my aunt married a guy called Paul. So these two Uncle Pauls and this guy called Lon, who's like, you know, the in the neighborhood, there's always like the one, there's like the good guy. Mm -hmm. The kids can go play around the house in the backyard and everything's cool. And back in the 70s and 80s, you remember, you, there, was, there was a lot of pedophiles in our neighborhood because they were, they were putting them in our neighborhood because we were a poor neighborhood. But our neighborhood, we reigned free. We're, there was like guns and knives You're and the last drugs. generation. We were the last generation. You're the last yeah. generation. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, about eight, 10 years before you. And it was the whole come home when the streetlights come yeah, on. You know? totally. And you would beat that by 45 minutes anyway. You'd totally. still be into the dark. But you were the last generation. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. I think the reason I am the way that I am is because of that generation, that era. Like I was free and I ran, I took full advantage of it, right? So this guy called Lon, who ended up marrying my mother, he's, he became my mom's second husband. He was an amazing influence on me. So my two uncles and my and Lon. Your stepdad at the time, yeah. Yeah, I, like, but he didn't marry her until I was well in my 20s. Okay. So yeah, so like he wasn't like He was that. just there as an influence. Yeah, in and life, he lived right? across the street and we used to, he was a firefighter. We used to, when he were to work overnight shifts, we'd babysit his kids and shit. So I never grew up thinking you needed a nuclear family because I found that the neighborhood was your family. And I think that's why I am, I put my elbows up so much is because I know what it means when people who don't have any reason to be there for you are there for you. 
I value that a lot. That is very powerful, actually. Yeah. I can feel it even when you yeah. say it because I remember the defenders in high school. I wasn't a big guy, but I wasn't a small guy. I had really good wit, quick wit, and I could make the dangerous guys laugh, which made me, which endeared me to them. That's how but, I saved my life. Well, once in a while, though, I would then, or there, there was a couple of years where, no, I was caught in the, I'm going to get the crap out of me every day. I'm scared of Bobby Fischer. I'm scared of so-and-so. And then along comes a defender. It was a, yeah. What was the name? Our guy was called Dave. Dave defended this us. This guy's name was Roman and he was yeah. Ukrainian. Is he? Yeah. Our guy was Dave. Dave used to walk around the beatbox playing Pink Floyd, The uh, Wall, 7980. It was like, yeah, he saved us, man. I was a weekly. Isn't that a kid. wonderful thing to be, be saved? A. I mean, you, 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 the, you just like, this guy, Roman, I remember one time, he just looked at me and said, Walk home with me, Les. Yep. And, I wa and Bobby Fisher sat over at the side and Roman, Roman just looked at him and said, you touch Stroud again, you're going down. And, I'm, and he had no reason to do that for me. He was just a good dude. It's just a good dude, man. I, I grew up afraid every single day. It's why I have no fear now. Leaving my house and walking to school every single day, I was afraid I was going to get the shit kicked out of me. And some days I did, often I did. And I lived in the kind of neighborhood where you were going to get beat up just because there was a group of guys across the street, right? So if you see them, you're like, fuck, here we go. So I grew up every single day trying to not get smoked on my way to school or on my way home from school. And you find the ways, like if I go down this alley or on that street, I'll be, oh, oh, oh they're, they're down there. If I go over to the right corner, I can, they won't see me. I, I play every catwalk. I knew every way to get around <sighs> stuff. And I'll tell you, I'm grateful for the experience. I grew up thinking that, well, you know, what I liked about it less is what it taught me was that it's a dangerous world. And I don't, I never wanted to be protected from it's a dangerous world. Um, and it was a very dangerous world when I was a kid. And I am grateful that I saw it up front, up close. And now I don't have any fear because I think on a, just on a pure physiological level, my body was processing fear, right? So much up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. That now it's like, fuck, my, my bar is so high. If you want to, I was in Sudan and Darfur during the, the war when the genocide was going on. I remember. Well, what were you doing there? You can't throw that sentence out. Well, I was, I was out there doing something and I, um, <laughs> I was. Uh, Hang on, okay. I was in trouble. I, had, I was getting in trouble with the Janjaweed, the people who were committing the, the genocide. And that's where we'll leave George in part one of my interview. Not in a park in Toronto, but rather Sudan. Seems like as good a place as any. I first met George when he was interviewing me on CBC TV. I was riding high with my Survivor Man series and so the inevitable TV and radio interview rounds had to be made, his show being the peak of the experience. I knew with George, I couldn't just sail through the interview, answering a few lame questions. His speed of diction alone is staggering. You often have to hold on for the ride. So I did what I thought I should right before the interview. I downed three cups of coffee, hoping to keep up with him. Then I discovered his own little secret, though I think he's off them now. He was downing Red Bulls. Keep listening for part two of my interview with George Strombolopoulos. Our knob tweaker is Keith Oman, and we are possessed by the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Keep listening, everyone. We'll figure this out. Oh, hey, wait a second. Sorry, one more thing. Totally forgot. This is my moment of shameless self-promotion. But if you are not yet watching my brand new series, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest, well, you need to. It's all about local foraging. And then I, I'll go out and I'll show you a number of plants and I'll bring them back into a kitchen or a cookery outdoors or somewhere where Chef Paul Rogalski will turn them into an incredible meal. 
you got to see this show, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. It's airing now on a public television station near you. And if the public television station near you is not airing it, then email them, phone them, show up on their doors, blackmail them, do whatever you have to do to get Les Stroud's Wild Harvest on their station so that you can watch it. The second part of the self-promotion is for this channel, if you're watching this, and if you're not, this channel is the YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud. I have a ton of stuff on there. I really got on the game for YouTube about six or eight months ago, and I have been populating it with all kinds of material. New stuff, archive stuff, all kinds of information from how-tos to Survivor Man episodes to Survivor Man Bigfoot to director's commentaries. So check out my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud, because I am keeping it really, really active. So brand new series, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. Don't forget my YouTube channel. And lastly, we are going back into the uh, the printers and by popular request, releasing again my 20th anniversary film collection. 76 films, every film I have made over the past 20, actually 25 years to be honest with you, but 20 years. And it's available through the website, lestroud.ca. All right. Um, okay. I guess that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. And uh, I don't know, go pour yourself a coffee and go listen to some more of my podcasts if you so choose. Thanks, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 